Well, so you can only see the top of this shirt. You have to see this part. Ah, Winnie the Pooh. Isn't that cool? Now, Winnie I'm not sure if everybody knows I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I'm not sure if this is a correct thing that they say Winnie the Pooh is from Winnipeg, and I know that's not true. I think Winnie the Pooh comes from heaven. <laughs> and yeah, comes with that one. On, on special occasions to remind us that pay attention to the bumblebees comes from the seven acre wood oh he comes from the seven acre wood kevin says hello yes hello. i have five acres but right seven acres yes well, i the resonance effect is in japanese of course it is the physical copy of it is downstairs but i got this package from north atlantic books yesterday and I knew that someone had negotiated for the rights and then I don't hear anything about it. And then all of a sudden, Sarah from North Atlantic Books sends me this package with five copies of The Resonance Effect in Japanese. And it's the strangest thing to open a book that's backwards. And you, Japanese reads the other way. So the binding is on your right-hand side and you open the book and all the pictures are there. And the text runs top to bottom instead of crossways. And it's in English, French, German, Polish, Mandarin, High Mandarin, and Japanese. And when I posted that on Facebook, there was somebody that responded and said, I will translate it into Hindi. Tell me what to do. So I gave him my email address and I'll send him to Sarah. And Sarah just needs a publisher and somebody that can do the translation. Amazing. Isn't that cool? Congratulations. It's, and the way that book came to be is really strange. I know better than to send an unsolicited manuscript to a publisher. I got a phone call one afternoon and it was this gentleman named Doug Real. And Doug said, I've had Crohn's disease for 17 years. And one of your practitioners just put me into remission in two weeks. And I want to know why I've never heard of you. Why don't you have a book? And I said, because nobody ever asked me. And he said, I'm asking you. And he was an editor with North Atlantic Books. So he sent me the proposal. I wrote the first chapter, sent it back to him. And he said, no. Take another run at it. Unpack it. Okay. So I wrote chapter one basically on a Friday night, edited a bit on a Saturday, sent it to one of my patients to read and edit, sent it to him on Monday, and he said, that's it. Now you need chapter two. So we did chapter two. That was in January. And then I got stuck halfway through chapter three. It's like, that's okay. I have June and July left to finish the next eight chapters, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. The seminar manager for Frequency Specific and his wife, who ran Precision Distributing, quit the night before I left for Kuwait for two weeks. And they both refused to come back to train the new guy. So the new guy was Kevin. Yay. And so I spent June and July with Kevin in the office, figuring out how to run the business. 
And that left me with my due date was September 1st. So here we are at the end of July. Roger Billica offers his cabin, which is a three or four bedroom, big A-frame house with a porch in Colorado, outside of Fort Collins. And so George and I, we were supposed to fly on Thursday, but I got diverticulitis Wednesday night, moved the flight to Friday, and we flew Friday morning. I started on chapter three Friday afternoon, finished it Saturday, and wrote seven chapters in seven days. So you write one chapter in a day, you eat lunch, go for a walk, eat, write, go to bed, get up, write, eat, sleep, write, write the chapter, edit the chapter, write the next chapter. So I finished seven chapters in seven days. And then we had a masterclass on weekend, September 2nd. And the case that we did in that masterclass was part of the end. It's like the afterward. It was the patients wrote chapter 10. And then I wrote just a bit at the end. And that was the resonance effect. I read it now and it's, gee, I wonder who wrote this. I kind of have a smirk on my face if you didn't notice, because you're going to die when you hear the word of the day or the okay. thing that I came up with. Okay. And people don't understand, like, I don't just come up with this I have a plan for the month, pretty much. Of course and you do. And things get manipulated a little bit here and there based on what kind of week I've had and stories I want to share. But the word is sequence today. Sequence. Yes. That's interesting. So you just talking about chapters and the sequence of events that you do or that you did leading up to the writing of the book, the writing in Japanese. Everything can be broken down to a sequence. Yep. I had a word for today that I'll run by you because I never have words for the day. I let you drive the bus because the bus is so much fun. Bus has many stops and routes we can take along the way. There's actually two words. One is choice. Okay. And the other is respect. I saw a patient Thursday that I had seen in March. And She had a beautiful timeline, lots of trauma. Her digestive system was a complaint. She didn't mention anything about low back pain and asthma. And she had, she was a wonderful history. She did volunteer work all over the world and was like in Kosovo and not easy places to be, right? So at that visit in March, I had given her, okay, so this will help with your asthma. And this is what you need to do for what you think is the cognitive problem that you have. Her score was 41 over 18 on the BIVS 18. Anything over 18 on the brain injury, visual systems, symptom questionnaire, anything over 18 means you really ought to go see Dr. Resky or somebody with an FCOVD that can at least look at prism glasses for you. And she had bloating and digestive system problems. And I wrote out the things she should do for that. And wrote out something else. And five sheets of paper. This is your homework. And she comes back this month and she hasn't done any of it. Like zip. And she still has a little bloating, but a lot of things had gotten better. So that was good. And that's where choice comes in, right? So we have 
a sequence. We have a plan. It's, I can help you get your life back. We can do this. You and I form a team. We can do this. And here's your to-do list. And it was her choice. Right. Life intervenes. She didn't have time. It wasn't a major priority to her. She's used to having gut trouble. She's used to having asthma. She's mm-hmm. used to having low back pain. And for me to say, those are all fixable, and this is how, and this is why, and yeah. you do these things. And then there's my list. Aha. And there was no irritation because you have to respect what they are priorities for them to recover, not be their priorities for them to recover. Right. So I'm not sure how that fits with sequence, but that was yesterday. It completely does. And let me unpack a little bit of what you were talking about. When I start working with a new patient, especially an athlete, actually anybody, but there is a new agreement that I make them sign along with the informed consent and the waiver and everything else is that we form a team. Right. And they are responsible, right? That goes with their choice and respect. They are responsible for their end of the bargain. They're and they're part of this process that we have together. And there was a famous hockey coach that I love and the, he gets success wherever he goes, whatever team this team wins. And they were asking him, what do you do on the ice? What's the magic formula here? And he says, no, you're missing it. They spend two hours with me on the ice. It's what they're doing the other 22 hours that counts. And I've used that that saying with the patients, because they'll say, oh, you're a miracle worker, or this room is just magic, or your treatments are this. And I was like, whoa, yeah, what I do is pretty cool. But a lot of it is the education that you have to give them as a practitioner to make the good choices that are going to support your treatment, which they are respectfully responsible for. And there is a sequence with all of that. And I want you to send me that in an email, a copy of that, because I go through that verbally with a patient. You and I form a team to help you achieve your goals, your health goals. And it's teamwork. I don't know that patients always appreciate how much their emotional state, their mental state, their past life trauma. Athletes, it's different than complex illness or complex pain patients because athletes may have had previous life trauma, but they have a mindset that creates a determination to recover so they can perform. They come in with a built-in goal. Sure. To recover. However, so many times these athletes have blown through stop signs and have so many bits and pieces that are unresolved that those bits and pieces end up coming out somewhere. Yeah. So whether it's at retirement where that's where we see a lot of it, where they have now time to stop and all these things start surfacing, but you're right. And that's why I think I do working with athletes of all different levels is that there is that intrinsic motivation to whatever you do, I'm going to listen to you and do it. Sometimes it's to the, extreme yes like again going back to the choice and the respect I think when you give some of the power back to somebody that can be therapeutic in a way so many times people who are in chronic pain 
have that victim mentality or hopelessness? Well, this is, it's essential. Most of the chronic pain patients I see and most of the chronically ill patients I see have received only passive care. No one has given them an exercise program. No one has made them keep a diet diary. No one has said, this is your part. It's all been, well, I go to the chiropractor twice a week and I get a massage once a week and I get acupuncture once a month. Has anybody given you exercises for the disc bulges in your neck? Oh, no. And it's just, and I remember the athlete that we saw when I came up to Canada that time and he came back after lunch and his abdomen, his rectus was full of little pieces of gravel, trigger points. And I said, so what'd you have for lunch? And he said, oh, there's a greatest sub sub shop up the street. I had a great sub sandwich. I said, has anybody ever mentioned to you, because I ran 40 and 22 inflammation in the small intestine and all the trigger points disappeared. And I said, has anybody ever mentioned to you that you are gluten sensitive? He said, yeah, I'm not supposed to eat gluten. And I said, today's sub sandwich is the last gluten you're going to have for two years if you want to be in the Olympics in two years. And he went, okay, but it's not even a pause. Yeah. Okay. That was the deal. And he knew it was right. Yeah. Especially when he went from gravel to smooth and painless. What did you run? Inflammation of the small intestine. What did you eat? End of discussion. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too that when, and athletes will fast track this, but when you have a patient that gets almost that instant results or like quick results, those like sacrifices are more digestible, no pun intended, but you're not trying to convince them of something when there's no benefit, but as soon as there's benefit and you can do that on the table almost instantaneously, right? they're like, oh, right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, choice, respect, and we're talking about sequence and. Tell me about sequence. What does that mean to you? Okay. It started with a question that I got emailed and it was asking about the importance of sequence with frequencies that we use. Do you have to use 40 before 13? Do you have to use bleeding before scarring? What is the importance of the sequence? It was from a trainer who I know wants the recipe does not have the time to think through the pathology. Thanks. So I said, yes, it is important to have a sequence just like it's important to have a hypothesis. You gave them the bad news, right? Yeah. Okay. And the bad news is. And the bad news is it's going to take a little bit of time and you're going to have to sit with something. But I said, I promise you, when you sit with the intention and you think through it, because this trainer is brilliant, I go, you are going to have your hair blown back because it's going to be a religious experience. So I had to package my response in a way that was going to be exciting and challenging and not overwhelming. Okay. And let him find out the bad news by himself. And let him find out the bad news himself. Yeah. And just for the people listening, the bad news is that you do what appears to be obvious. 
the patient had, in the case of one of my patients, this last two weeks, what was apparently a vertebral artery tear from auto accident, chiropractic adjustment, whatever. And she has a sensitivity to the frequencies that is amazing. And I saw her two years ago at the end of one of the seminars. She was a 630 patient. And she took the course and she bought the equipment and she treats herself. And there's another word that we need to explore, and that is flexibility. Because the thing that takes away her full body muscle tone is 81 and 10, predictable. Yeah. 40 and 89, because she had a, a hypoxic event, basically. So you know how I use 40, quiet the activity of the medulla to relax the upper trapezius? Yeah. You know what it works on her? What? 81 and 94. That's a good phase. That's my phase. And then I, for everybody that has had a thalamic bleed, yeah. you or a thalamic misadventure, you run 40 and 89 for full body pain. So her b- body pain was right-sided and down to the middle of her thigh. There's no dermatome that goes that way. So it had to be a part of the homunculus that yeah. goes right. And so 40 and 89, I might've used at the seminar, but she found out 81 and 89 is what takes her pain down. She runs it in the morning. She runs increased secretions in the medulla, increased secretions in the thalamus and increased secretions in the spinal cord. And her body pain goes away for 24 hours. And the next day, she has two custom carriers. She runs the same thing on herself, so she gets to have a life. This time, she came in. So that was the flexibility part. That was my brain going, I just spent five years warning everybody not to use those combinations. And now I have to figure out why they work. But that's for tomorrow. Then the other thing was that the left side of her face Her left eyelid drooped halfway down and the left side of her face, when she smiled, she didn't have any cheek. Right. Yeah. Right. We ran increased secretions in the pons and it filled in and it stayed for two days. And then in the neck. So I did torn and broken. That's a sequence, right? You'd start with trauma and torn and broken and, scarring and then you think about what happens when it bleeds and it's like deep old bruise and that made her neck just relax from the bleeding yes you can have a sequence because I did the predictable sequence and then my fingers found this place that just wouldn't give up it wasn't 13 it wasn't 40 it wasn't scarring it wasn't inflammation it wasn't torn and broken what is that she said I don't know it's sore It's kind of like a bruise. And I went, oh, yeah, bleeding. Got it. 284. So you start out with a recipe, but there's a reason that we have to, that you get the best results. You'll get something that'll blow your hair back. Yeah. But you get the best results. 
when your fingers find something that doesn't respond the way you thought it would, and that forces you to think through the pathologies and what pathology you missed. Does that make sense? It does. And a lot of times I'm faster to change the B channel because I get admittedly attached to what I think it is. Yeah. So I'm like, this is scarred. It has to be scarred. If I'm not getting anything on connective tissue, it has to be the fascia. It has to be the muscle. It has to be the tendon. And then thankfully there's not as many B channels to flip through. If it's not this, it's that. I'm not, I don't have to go through the entire human anatomy. If I'm on somebody's neck, so many choices, then I'll go to my A channel and think, okay, this isn't scarred. And this is where sequence comes into place because I used to just be, I have this inherent love affair with 13 because 13 is something that I get as a science guy. I get what 13 does. And as a manual therapist, I can feel what 13 does. As a personal trainer, I can watch what 13 does when it dissolves adhesions and I can take somebody's hamstring and put it around their ear in about 32 seconds. But when it doesn't work, I have to think, okay, I know unequivocally this is adhered or scarred, but then I go to the sequence. But what happened before I got scarred? And this is where we start talking about layering frequencies or why the timeline is so important. What else happened around the time that this happened? Okay. And then thinking how, sorry to interrupt, but thinking how things interact so yes. that patient and uh, another patient that's an 81 and 10 what happens when a bicycle is hit by a hit and run driver going 30 miles an hour so he runs 81 and 10 and that softens the tone of the muscles and then down by his knee at the tfl it's he said oh, it's sore there now the TFL is relaxed, the quads and the brevis and the adductors are relaxed, they're soft. TFL is really tender to touch. When the muscles are really tight because of loss of descending inhibition, and you have a tendon, flat tendon, that's the touch and painful at rest, what is it? Torn and broken, 124 and 77. Because the muscles were tight, then what happens? And that's torn and broken. And where we see this a lot for the practitioners out there, also for the patients, is where I see it a lot, is the hamstring insertion on the ischial tuberosity. Athletes will come in where with point 10, they'll say, it hurts on my sit bone. It's my sit bone that's the problem. And like, and I'll go to the belly of the hamstring or the belly of the adductors because that's where it started. And because of Wolf's law, the tension that was generated in the connective tissue and the soft tissue ends up just manifesting where the attachment site is because it has nowhere else to create tension anymore. This athlete just kept on running. So that's where having anatomy knowledge, biomechanic knowledge, and just being able to have the ability to think through something. Tissue knowledge. It's like you can put your hands on the cyst bones and some of the tenderness, if it's on the bone, that's torn and broken and inflammation, maybe scarring, but torn and broken and inflammation in the periosteum. Yeah. And then if your fingers slide off 
the bone and it's sore there, then it's torn and broken in the connective tissue. And thank you, David Musnick, there are 18 bursa in the hip and the pelvis. There is a bursa that's almost continuous that goes along the ischial tuberosities. So inflammation in the bursa and somebody's butt, seriously? Yeah. And then, especially, I think about the speed skaters you get, where that has to glide. If that bursa is stuck to the tendon, then scarring in the bursa. Yeah. Being able to think through not just the anatomy, what muscle is there, but tissue types. Totally. And thank you, Roger Billica, for his synopsis of you're taking away the bad, but you have to put in the good. So when you have a bursa that has been irritated and inflamed because it's acting as a shock absorber or a buffer around tissues that are not gliding the way they're supposed to, finishing off with vitality in the bursa increases secretions, the connective tissue that are around the bursa to normalize everything again is fantastic. So there's so many practitioners that have had these like day-long workshops, but I'll take one little nugget from it. And I think Roger Billica's, I always think of when I learned how to drive a manual transmission and you're trying to figure out the gas and the the brake. That's how, and that's how I feel like with FSM, I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm not taking out too much without putting in what I need to also. And I think we see that a lot with when we deal with 13 with scar tissue, we have to make sure we're supporting everything as we're removing pathology. Especially with scar tissue, this word, this sequence thing that you, if you think about what happens when you relieve scar tissue, you increase glide, you increase movement and the bill comes due. The bill comes due. Yes, you can do this. And how is your low back tomorrow? Yes. This is connected to my low back. It's your lat and goes there. And if your lat does that, then your quads on the left are going to be different. What? How does that? And then it's just so much fun. It is responsible and respecting the process right so yes the patients have to going back to your choice and respect we as practitioners have to make choices with our sequences and our frequencies that we're going to use and respecting the process that is about to unfold and I think that is the hardest thing to wrap a new practitioner's brain around is how fast things are about to happen. So you have to have a whole new respect for timelines because you're about to blur them all. Yeah. So this patient in the last week had ruptured appendix at the age of 19. Speaking of athletes, lose through it. And after peritonitis and then after all the scar tissue and then after, uh, I think maybe a year, after the ruptured appendix, they go in and go, oh my goodness, that's, there's, hmm, let's tidy this up. So they take out 18 inches of her small bowel and yes, and, but it's okay. And they we have lots. tidy things up 
and now she's almost my age and she has digestive difficulties and this band of scar tissue that's I'd say a good centimeter and a Y in the front of the abdomen and it goes straight down and the place where the sigmoid should be is empty and the sigmoid is about three to four centimeters medial and the cecum is about three centimeters medial so they both wrapped together by the scar tissue that starts here and goes out there so we're talking about her travels and her work and her life and this and that and I'm just fiddling around with 13 and 77 and 13 and the sigmoid and that's got to be an ovary I wonder 13 and 7 and you let the frequency response tell you whether or not your guess was right and then she told me what to do she said yeah all the trouble was in my small intestine check 13 and small bowel and then if you have scarring in the small bowel you're going to have especially when she says ouch no susception in the abdomen is the vagus nerve. So scarring in the vagus, scarring in the cecum. And then all of a sudden the hour is up. And I said, reach down and feel your belly. And she, the look on her face was worth every bit of it. She said, I don't get to drive home tonight, do I? I guess my husband is going to drive. <laughs> awesome. But it's the response to, because of what you said because it changes so fast you have to believe what's happening that's the first part and then let that inform what you're going to do next right yes and there's that sequence that's the sequence it's and respecting this that the sequence will change oh yes absolutely so I have a question for you. We have choices. We are totally circumventing our words today. We have choices about polarized positive versus alternating current. Oh, yeah. And as a observation, athletes typically like polarized positive. Totally 100%. Yep. Have you ever seen a patient that fluctuates between polarized positive and alternating oh all the time you just switch Why? back for i don't know okay so there there comes a point in every seminar where you say out loud you guys understand that this is clinical research yeah you do it that always sounds so much better than saying out loud you do understand we don't know what we're doing it sounds better if you call it clinical research because that's what it is, an N of one. Every right. patient is an N of one. But yep. yeah, I don't know. No. Can I give you an idea? Oh. Yeah. I have, no, I have no idea if this works, but I was listening to this podcast today and I'll grab the name later for Kevin for the show notes, but he has a book or he has a website called The Resonance Resonance Something. And he's a quantum physics neuroscientist, very smart person. Just reached out to him today. Nassim. Kevin, yep. Kevin just reached out to him today to ask him to come either lecture at the advanced or come on the podcast. Did you hear him on the Lewis Howes podcast? Yes, Kevin, because that's my favorite podcast. Okay. 
Okay, now you two have to, uh, never mind, I'll find out what he's talking about and add that to my podcast list. Kevin, he's amazing, right? Yeah, I've actually met him in person. Get out! Okay, I'm totally fangirling right now, but okay, so Kevin knows where I'm going to go right now. Okay. So he makes your mind like bend in different ways because he's taught, he's said quantum physics, he's talking about frequency and we're all vibrating at different levels. And what got me thinking this morning when I was listening to this is we're constantly changing. And you talk about this all the time. We don't have one cell in our body that we did however many years ago when this traumatic event happened, but it, it changes us. And so when patients come in in different emotional states, like we're talking about the emotion changes the thought that changes the physical vibrate, like it all just, it circumvents, it changes, there's a sequence. This is where I'm going with it, that I think sometimes someone's emotional state will resonate with the polarized positive versus the alternating. I think that has an effect on it somehow. And that's just been my observation charting the emotional energy that these patients are coming in with. And I wonder sometimes if you think about polarized positive is actually, it was hard to get a straight answer out of George after about 10 years, but polarized positive is really a positive pulse followed by a space followed by a positive pulse because the negative end of the wave just goes up to the zero line. So when a patient is sturdy, like an athlete, yeah. you can use a positive pulse to just go bam. So they right. don't have time to accommodate to it, that it's a constant. Yes. Like that. Yes. On a day when even the athlete, but more commonly a chronically ill patient or a chronic pain patient comes in, you use alternating. And it gives the body time to adapt because it's not, because it's positive pulse followed by a negative pulse. It just gives the body time to adapt and they really can't, they don't do well with the constant bumping that they get with a positive pulse. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe. Someone had just asked, so the name is Nassim Haramine. And the website is residencesciencefoundation.org. He needs to know about us. I know. That's what I was thinking. And apparently he hasn't had a ton of like formal training. He should be a PhD in something, but he's a physicist, researcher, speaker. Um, He's got a bunch of papers that are about to be published right now. So super interesting. Residence Science Foundation. His interview was on the Lewis Howe podcast, which I love. H-O-W-E-L-L. What's that? H-O-W-E-S. Yes. Lewis Howes. And it's his, I just finished reading his book, The Greatness Mindset, but he interviews some pretty amazing. So his podcast on Spotify is The School of Greatness. And it was one of the most recent episodes. The School of Greatness. That's right. Wow. I am completely geeking out, Kevin. Yeah. That was about six years ago. Six years ago, but that's how wow. I started here. Wow. Cool. That is cool. One of the fun things that I have that I get to do. So we went to, I was at Focus on Pain, I think in 2005. 
And they were talking about how CGRP, calcitonin gene-related peptide, is a component of spinal cord-mediated and chronic pain. It's an inflammatory peptide. And so they were all excited that they had identified this thing that was a part of chronic pain. And thanks to David Simons, I was allowed to lecture at five o'clock. And I got the data slide in from the cytokine slides. And it's was a little bit cheeky, but I said, congratulations, you've identified that CGRP is a part of chronic pain. I pushed the next slide and I said, and I can change it. And there's CGRP dropping by factors of 10 times in 90 minutes. And it's with the biophysicists, we need them because they have the theory that explains how resonance affects biological tissue. Yeah. And having hung out a fair portion of my life with physicists, it's all a thought experiment. They can do it all in their head. So they have it in their head. And then we can say to any biophysicist on the planet, and this is what happens when you can actually use it and it works. This is what it does. And watching the look on their face, that would be like frosting on the cupcake. Wow. Yeah, Kevin, I'm so excited. And yeah, it's a lot, right, to wrap your brain around sometimes, but the two just blend together so well. So my brain, this podcast, I had to rewind it because he was talking and then I was trying to like put it in to frequencies and effects with patients. And then as I was thinking about that, I had to go back and listen to it because I'd missed everything because I was thinking about a patient stuff. Very interesting. Speaking of patients, let's get to a couple of the questions. There's something here about Lyme. 29 year old Lyme, 75 pounds, 61 inch, does not absorb food intolerance. How to start? How do you view complex Lyme? Jennifer Salznowski did a great presentation about Lyme. But so she, from the look of it, she also has Ehlers-Danlos and the challenge. So here's the thing. Number one, when they come in with a diagnosis of Lyme, this is where the medical side of me comes out. Who says if somebody muscle tested her or did electroacupuncture testing and, oh, you have Lyme, it's no. It's you do the blood test. How many bands? Oh, we didn't do a blood test. How do you know she has Lyme? I did. I do muscle testing. Uh huh. Okay, so let's do some blood work and see is Lyme really an issue? Because if Lyme really is an issue, that's antibiotics. That's you have to treat the chronic infection. Now, in the meantime, we can turn the vagus on and improve her digestion. Repairing the gut, that part's straightforward once you get the vagus to work. But the vagus is turned off by infection, stress, and trauma. So does she really still have Lyme? Did she ever have Lyme? That's the other piece of it. And what was her early childhood like? So 
what were things like at home when you were younger? And depending on how you and the patient interact, it's how tall are you? How much do you weigh? Have you ever had surgery? Have you ever had an auto accident? Have you ever been molested, abused, or raped? It's all one sentence. And if you just slide it in along with surgery and auto accidents, and have you ever been molested, abused, or raped, that tells you what contributes to keeping the vagus turned off. If she still has Lyme, you can turn the vagus on and it'll stay on for maybe an hour or two, if you're lucky. So you always have to do the pulse, the food intolerances. How do those show up? Does she have mast cell activation syndrome? Do you need to quiet down the macrophages? Well, the only place where you're going to do that is to turn the vagus back on. And the only way you're going to do that if she does have Lyme is to have somebody kill off the bugs and do what it takes to support the system. Yeah, diffuse pain. Sylvie, that can be... So yes, it can be 40 and 10 if she's had an auto accident, but you have to remember that if she has leaky gut, if she has that kind of food intolerance, you have macrophages eating up the antigen antibody complexes that releases histamine and histamine stimulates class C pain fibers. She cannot stand, is in a wheelchair, requested assistance to die. That puts it in a whole different category. Why is she in a wheelchair? Why can she not stand up? If she does have Ehlers-Danlos, then it can be cervical cranial instability and pressure on the spinal cord and the brain. And it can be psychological. When I was, uh, I figured out that the best way to defeat the enemy was to know his tactics. So I became a board certified independent medical examiner the very first year that they allowed chiropractors to be board certified independent medical examiners. And they want to make everything psychosomatic. And I was absolutely resistant obnoxiously resistant to that diagnosis. And then after 29 years in practice, I found out sometimes it's true. Sometimes the thing you need to do to help the patient is to just quiet down their midbrain and their sympathetics and let them be what they are. Oh, yay, Sylvie did. Western blot, three bands. Okay. No muscle, too much pain. Forty and ten didn't work. Try histamine in the blood vessels, and try forty and eighty-nine. I am not Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia is definitely not my specialty, and so that's complicated. I would direct all that to Jen Sosnowski, who is like our yeah. Jen. If you're listening, email Sylvie, will you? <laughs> You know, what's really fun is having a network. I know. We are so lucky that the network that we have is as amazing as it is. And it's, at this point, it's worldwide. But just the team we have in the U.S. and Canada is quite extraordinary. I agree. So, I agree. Alf wrote, please suggest various things to consider to increase circulation to an extremity. That's uh, first question, 
why is the circulation in the extremity decreased? So the best way to increase circulation to the extremity is to quiet the sympathetic nerves. Yeah. So the role of the sympathetics is if a tiger is chasing you through the woods and the first thing that the tiger is going to bite is your arm or your leg. The obvious thing for the sympathetics to do is constrict the blood vessels in your hands. So think of stage fright. Your hands are cold and sweaty and your feet are freezing. And so if the tiger bites you, your circulation is all here in your trunk and your brain where you need it. So circulation in the extremity has almost nothing to do with the blood vessels unless you're diabetic. And so you quiet the sympathetics and things warm up. And there, I love being able to manipulate the nervous system. It's my favorite part. Yes. And from a biomechanical or a mechanophysiological standpoint, I also think of when something doesn't have optimal circulation because something has been scarred or restricted for so long. So in that case, I like running hypoxia. And then my new follow-up to that has been necrosis. Oh, Absolutely. Thank you for that one. It is something I would never have thought of if it weren't for you. But after running hypoxia, then I think if it was hypoxic, it was also on the verge of becoming necrotic. If I'm thinking of it clearly. Ew. Yeah. Ew. But holy cow, does it work? Yeah. Exactly. So very interesting. Anything else coming up? Shingles patient who's three weeks in. At about two weeks, at the stage of lots of pins and needles, crawling, itching, Cynthia, at about two weeks, it becomes post-trapidic neuralgia. So the virus is eating its way through the membrane that coats the nerve. And you run the virus in the nerve, and then it's increased secretions in the nerve, and maybe even 54 in the nerve. Speaking of virus, before it falls out of my brain. We've had the insulin resistance protocol since 2003, right? Okay. Sandra Osterberg, Mm -hmm. who was at the clinic in Cardale, read an article. There's this chicken virus affects the insulin receptors in the adipose. And then if you Google viruses and insulin resistance, there's a whole class of them. So I've modified the insulin resistance protocol I run on myself to include 160, 56, 189, some of the flu ones, but 160 mm-hmm. malignant virus. And it's different. It's fascinating. Wow. Chicken, chicken, chicken. And Norton Fishman put in 230 and 430, but the viruses that contribute to insulin resistance are not part of the herpes simplex family. It's a chicken virus. So this is a person that was completely normal weight, completely normal weight. And then pretty soon he was 250, 280, 320 pounds. And somebody asked him, when did this start? I went to work on this chicken farm. That's what ended up leading to the study of biopsies of adipose and insulin receptors And they found this class of virus. There's a bunch of them. It's fascinating. Wow. So if I ever finish changing the standard protocols on the 
custom care, that's going to be changing. Something you add. Wow. That's interesting. Something else to think about in a whole new way, as if I didn't have enough going on. Um, Okay, really quick. One last question. Then we have to wrap things up. Deborah said, when you've exhausted 81 and 10 for spastic muscle and it's not budging, I'm onto hypoxia, scar tissue, et cetera. Do you feel the magnetic converters work well enough with scar tissue? 14 year old is extremely tired of towels and we're about to murder each other. <laughs> Try 54 and 10. Yeah. Polaris positive. And uh, I, I don't know. I've never had 81 and 10 not work except on me. And yeah. when the myelopathy was bad enough, Ben Catholi used 54 and 10 on me. And that was better than 81. So- and Magnetic converters are good with that? Yeah, it's slower because it's alternating. And if I get spasticity at night, I'll put one puck at the top, one puck down between my feet. And I have 81 and 10 that runs for three hours and I just punch the button and go back to sleep. I find that teenagers don't like to sit still with towels. That's where the stickies are good because then they can still get up and walk around. So I would go with the stickies also if that's possible. Louise said there are reported cases of sudden diabetic type two post COVID vaccine pay or post COVID infection. You'd run all of the flu respiratory since we can't use COVID post flu respiratory, that six or seven frequencies. And you'd use the adipose as the tissue. Yeah. That makes sense. I love it when it makes sense. Sometimes it happens. I have a quote Oh, goody. It's my favorite part. Well, almost my favorite part. No, hello is my favorite part. When we start is my favorite part. Mm-hmm. But this is a good part too. So it's my sequence quote. It says, a sequence works in a way a collection never can. Oh, I know. It's so freaking good. A sequence works in a way a collection never can. And so for the practitioners that are so intent on the recipe, this quote is for you because it is the sequence. It is not the collection of numbers. Amen. So if you want to learn more about sequences, come to the Troutdale sports course in three weeks. I think yeah. we're almost two and a half weeks on the 20th and 21st. We will make room for anybody that wants to come. So because we have the coolest suite in the whole building and it's all yeah. ours. I love it. I love the flexibility that we have. Email Kim at fsmsports365.com or go on the website. We will find a way to get everybody registered, but do it now so we can plan. Yay. It's four o'clock already. Four o'clock. So you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. (laughs) Have a good rest of your day, everybody. Thanks for coming and we'll see you all next week. See you next week. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.